culturally, women don't think of themselves as founders. Most women prefer to bootstrap companies. Many of them prefer to do nonprofits. And even when we were creating Fempeak, we were struggling with getting men invest in it. And when they did invest, they wrote small checks and they treated it as if they were giving money to a nonprofit. And I was like, look, we may pivot, but you're investing in me. Managing money is something that anyone can learn. Man or woman, if I look around, there's no shortage of finding ambitious women to invest in, you know? We have an apprentice program with 74 young women in it. They're either in college or they're working at a company like Tesla or they're on Wall Street working six days a week, 14 hours a day. I mean, it's incredible what they're doing and you would never doubt their ambition and skills. Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. My guest on today's podcast is Rajiv Kapoor from Chai Ventures, a female-focused venture firm in New York City. I have a lot to say about Rajiv. I feel so fortunate that through this platform, I get to meet some incredible people like him who are working tirelessly to change the narrative of venture capital to include more women. But instead of me telling you, I think it's best if I let you hear this conversation for yourself. It's a topic that's very close to my heart. As many of you might know that before we had Impeak, we were Fempeak. This is a conversation you don't want to miss. All right, Rajiv, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you tell me a little bit, a quick overview of who you are? So we got introduced through uh, a family office in uh, New York. I met with you. It was a great conversation. I was really inspired with what you're doing. You have a, a big focus on uh, women entrepreneurs, but why don't you give a quick overview of who you are, what your background is, and then we'll take it from there. Amazing. Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. It was great to meet you in New York, and I appreciate you having me on this podcast. Um, and so, yeah, a little bit about me. Um, I guess I've been into entrepreneurship from the beginning. Uh, I, I got the bug from my dad. He was an entrepreneur. So um, a lot of, you know, startup startup work over the years, for the most part, went public with a company called Marketo in 2013. Uh, and then um, after that, I just, I was investing in high growth public companies. And um, I think that's where my evolution started. I was just like, I'm going to, I feel more comfortable on the investor side and, um, and then that led to angel investing. And um, after that, the creation of our first fund. So where we are now, just to kind of give you that, we are working on a launch of a fund too. We're an early stage pre-seed and seed uh, fund. And like you said, we're creating a new model for investing in women. And I can I can explain more about that. But yeah, that's sort of yes, please, yeah, please tell me. So you said that you you're you're coming up with a new model. What uh, what what do you mean by that exactly? Um, is, yeah. is investing in women different? <laughs> I would say. Um, well, let me let me tell you a little story about the beginning of it. So, um, initially, I was making those angel investments, and then um, in 2019, made a first women-founded investment. And then something clicked and I said, We're, we need to focus on this. Um, and I, I think it had to do with like my proximity. My team is calling it proximity <laughs> to women because I have, you know, my wife and three daughters and just like 
been, I guess, had the gift of some kind of understanding from that. Um, and then once we decided to invest in uh, the best women founders we could find, uh, the first investment I made, by the way, was like in property tech. So um, because I sort of had a little background in my family in real estate. So I think, you know, kind of explains how it led to that. Um, but then made this made this woman founder investment and said, oh, my gosh, um, if we want to focus on this, we need to think about what industries are we in? Because they're not necessarily in the industries that I'm looking at right now. And um, what stages? And we decided to go earlier stage and get right to the beginning when other investors may not be there. Um, and then we we opened up. So as I said, we opened up industries to new industries. That's sort of. And eventually we evolved into our current thesis, which is uh, wellness, human connection, um, and health. And uh, because I, I just think we were finding extraordinary women founders and opportunities you know, in those industries. Um, and then geographically as well. So we, we ended up with a portfolio that's West Coast, US, uh, for the most part, West Coast, East Coast, and then London. Uh, because I, I happen to have a European wife and we were just going to Europe a lot. <laughs> and I found these incredible women in London. Again, it was pretty, it was pretty like ground up at that time, just like following the threads of incredible introductions and, and people I'm finding. But that's, I was trying to share these examples of how like to just find the best women, we had to change so much and not just keep doing what we were doing. Okay. So, so you said that you made your first uh, investment in a in a woman in 2019 uh, how long before that had you started uh, doing these investments but that was your first angel right in a yeah and then that's it we um from that point on we were deploying approximately 85 percent of capital to women founded companies but before and... that like how long did it take you how many other had you done uh, before I, I had done probably uh, probably about 10 investments in guys before i got to that point so starting in the end of 2017, all through 2018, and then realizing this in 2019. So um, what was it that clicked for you? You said something clicked when you did that investment. What, firstly, tell me about the story of that one particular investment that you did in uh, the woman founder. Um, I have so many questions around that, actually. So tell me, like, what was the reason for not investing in women before? Was it because they, it just didn't come about? It, it just uh, it didn't come uh to your attention you didn't meet as many women founders and then what was the thing that you said it clicked what was the difference yeah i mean i think i think i wasn't filtering for that initially so I, and it probably that's how most of the vcs are right now they're you know there's just getting deal flow and the way they get deal flow and it's it's mostly going to be guys that are coming through and so I think that was just the natural, just like watching the natural flow. That's what I was seeing. But, you know, once I made that investment, I realized, I think part of it too, is I just, you know, I like strong people around me. Um, I'm used to, you know, it's hard to pinpoint things, but like strong mom, um, which led to even my sister, for example, you could see it on her. She was a firefighter which is pretty unusual. Wow. Uh, That's so cool. Yeah, she was like one, two, or three out of a thousand firefighters in our area that were women. Um, so I, I think I think that was part of it as well. And just realizing and being open and listening to the opportunities that maybe others weren't looking for. 
But then it, it, after that, it became more active. It was like, okay, I went to a dinner, you know, I went to an investment dinner. I started getting invited um, to these, you know, industry dinners, things like that. So I go to this dinner and it's like 10 guys, supposed to be two women. One of them wasn't feeling well, didn't make it. So like 10 guys, one woman. And I was like, well, as a woman focused investor, it's not really effective. <laughs> so, so then I had to change up like what I'm even attending and who I'm talking to. That's interesting. So um, is it true? I mean, uh, I've been told this many times. First of all, I was telling you earlier that um, sometimes I get asked if, if I have a male co-founder, <laughs> which <laughs> which reminds me of, uh, you know, like in the old times where, where you needed a man to um, have like a bank account or something. <laughs> so I suppose people still have that mentality to some degree. But um, the question I had was, you know, a lot of people say women are less ambitious or less risk taking. What has been your observation in that sense? Is that is there any level of truth to that? Um, I mean, it's kind of a generalization, but at the same time, I do think um, probably if you looked at the 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 statistics on it, um, like I'll tell you a story. There's one founder uh, I have in our portfolio. Her name's Amy Williams. She's based out of London. Her company's called Good Loop. Um, I, when I met her, she was on stage, you know, thought leader talking about data, how to protect data. And um, her company converts advertising dollars into donations. So it's a really cool model um, that has generated millions of donations uh, so far, just in the early stages. And um, we had a meeting in New York a couple of years ago, and I was like, you know, you can step on the gas more. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I know, I know, but like, I need to make sure that I have like X amount of runway and like protect the business and this and that. And I was like, wow. And she's, you know, I don't know, I don't ask founders age, but she was pretty young. So I was like, that's pretty astute <laughs> to be thinking about all that. <laughs> um, and so I do think they're probably, you know, are more women that think that way. And like, because of that, they do have uh, safer businesses in a way and gives them higher chance of success. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, when I think about our business, the way that I've stretched, you know, we, we went through three different pivots because at first we started, this was actually not called Impeak, it was called Fempeak. And we were focusing more on bringing more women into business and technology. We realized that was too small. We couldn't get enough women interested in building businesses. Uh, so it wasn't enough for me to like make a SaaS, you know, kind of type of business, right? So um, so then we pivoted to Web3 when Web3 was like at the peak, everybody was excited about it. It's like, oh yeah, this is the next big thing and we're going to make, an, uh, you know, a, a Web3 LinkedIn, you know, because I've always wanted to build a, a social network of some sort. Um, and um, that was very promising at first, but then we had to, pivot again because web3 went down and you know uh, ftx happened all that stuff right so oh my god if you if you look at how we stretched our runway like this little <laughs> kind of runway that we got from from the beginning and we're still going and it's like like you know now we've, we've built a whole new business model we've just started monetizing this new one you know and and we are actually not far from breaking even honestly i think that most people would have given up and they would have run out of money. <laughs> so, so uh, although of course I'm I'm quite lucky that I have another successful business and we have 
been able to, you know, I don't run that one myself. So I work 100% on Impeak, but I built that one in a way that it runs without me. So so, so to be mm. honest, I, I could easily retire if, if, if it was like a matter of not, um, you know, not being ambitious. I could easily retire on my other business. It, it generates enough money that pays for my life. I can go on holidays. I can have a nice life. And buy designer handbags, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I could do that, right? But instead, I, I decided to build this one, and uh, we are keeping going. And I I do think that I don't know if it's about being woman or whether it's about being an immigrant, you know, because as an immigrant, there's also that aspect of it that that there's that yeah. extra added pressure of making sure that you make it in this new um, kind of environment that you are in, right? So being a first generation immigrant. So you're mm. you're like you know you're on your own. So uh, I wouldn't say women are not ambitious. I think that they're like you said they're really. I think they're really good from my experience of the kind of women I see. They're really good at making things go further, and uh, mm. and and like being uh, very careful with money um, because maybe um, something to do with biologically the way that they are they have uh, or or and and maybe culturally the way that they have. Um, they have been brought up so um so this concept of women not being good with money you don't you don't agree with that <laughs> listen I, I think regarding money uh, being good with money or the ambition and all of that there's no reason why a woman shouldn't be just as good as a man um i think there are cultural differences there are you know differences that people encounter so it could happen for example it could happen that a woman maybe because of cultural biases and differences takes a little longer to figure out, you know, what she's thinking. Um, but like, there's no reason why it should be different. So I don't, you know, I don't subscribe to that at all. And managing money is something that anyone can learn, man or woman, you know? So um, the thing is what, what I'm seeing is just, if I look around, I just happen to be seeing really ambitious women, you know, whether it's like, women founders we've invested in 59 you know companies in fund one there's no shortage of finding ambitious women to invest in you know and then on the other side a big part of our community is women venture capitalists so this is a i want to mention this because this is a key part of our dna um we call it like emerging check writers right so there are women working their way up at different funds and um you know the decisions are made by the partners at the top and so a lot of times um because of inertia or just the way things have been for so long, it's usually, um, I think the stat is 85% of partners are, are men in venture capital, but also I think that might um, understate because there could be partners that don't deploy as much money as others. So, you know, it could be even less than 15, the, the women portion. And I think what we realize is like, um, so they're ambitious women that want to, you know, do well at a fund and rise up and become a partner and, and on the other side. And then there are young women in college who are interested in, um, in this stuff there. Some of them, we have an apprentice program with 74 young women in it. They're in college or just out of college. And I see them there. Uh, oftentimes, you know, they're either in college or they're working at a company like Tesla or they're on Wall Street working six days a week, 14 hours a day. I mean, it's incredible what they're doing and you would never doubt their ambition, you know, mm -hmm. and skills. You would never doubt their skills either. And so I think um, like one interesting story I want to tell you is like there's a, a woman in our uh, more on the venture capital side. She's 
she was in our program where, so what we do is we have peer support. So we just like bring different, you know, women venture capitalists together. They could be in different cities, different funds, could be London, New York, and they wouldn't otherwise really know each other. And then we create a safe space. Like for us, this is a really important part of our business. Like whichever direction we're looking, it's safe space. Um, and so this one woman got promoted to partner and she's at a multi-hundred million dollar fund that invested in climate. Um, you know, and then she told me the that uh, her husband is um, also an entrepreneur. They have a little boy. And then she's mm -hmm. like, I almost downgraded my career because of this, because of the demands on the household. And I barely made it. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, that's to me a perfect example of how like a small thing can, you know, derail someone. And I think women are facing that like there's a lot of small things, even if they want it um, or they have the talent. Um, and that's that's what we have to be careful of as like the others around them, their managers or, you know, the investors. Uh, and and there's could be their partner because like what happened in that story is her partner said no you're doing this mm -hmm. <laughs> she got that support from her spouse and she did it you know that's such a great story um i had actually made a note to talk about children because that's a really big part of this um because often people forget that women are the ones that actually are bearing the child you know yeah. so, so I, I often so I, I decided not to have children and the, the story of childless women is a whole other and, and that's mm -hmm. even that term right like people refer to you as childless like you know, like there's something <laughs> wrong with you like you know like it's like hairless you know or like something <laughs> like you yeah. know um but uh, but I, I laugh at it. It's, it's fine. It is what it is. But the decision that often people have to make, like in my case, I you know, I highly, highly agree with you with what you said about it can take longer for women. I definitely agree with that. Because if you're a woman, it takes longer. If you're an immigrant, it takes even longer. In mm. my case, I had to wait for about 11 years to get a British citizenship before I could even wow. start a business. So, mm. uh, so I came here when I was 23. Then I had to wait for another 11 years. Then I built my first business, learned about entrepreneurship, building business, you know, money management. Then I was like, okay, now I'm ready to do a tech platform and go and raise money and like build something bigger. Because as you know, it's a, there's a big difference between blue, um, you know, bootstrapping and, and building something that's venture-based. So, um, so all of those things, it takes a lot longer because people, uh, women don't have this, the right networks. They don't have the right education. You talked about learning, you know, and, and initially when we were building Fempeak instead of Impeak, we were thinking that we were going to bring that network and learning to women um, but we found it very hard because when a network is called a, ne a women network, the type of people that you get in it, they are often people that don't have uh, as much um, power and money. It becomes a very insular kind of network where you don't really have enough people who are writing checks, who are yeah. making you know making an impact that's why we pivoted from fanpeak to impeak and we were like let's make it in inclusive and that actually upset some of our investors specifically one of our investors got really upset he was like oh i don't like that you're changing the mission you're losing sight mm. of your and i i disagree with that because i feel like i can make a lot more impact 
if I have a broader net network and I'm building something that's for everybody, but I'm but a, as I'm doing that, I can really look out for yeah women, right? So, so yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that idea. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think um, you know there was there was a founder once I was meeting with and I was talking about having a uh, you know a dinner like we'll have dinners that are like women only founders or VCs pretty often, um, and then she's like, you know, I collaborate with men all the time, and I'm like, that's good. <laughs> you know, so I think the thing is like thinking about like our fund and like it being, you know, women first or um, we kind of think about each part of the business and like what's the role of men instead of like just saying this is all women. Right. So um, in terms of deploying capital into founders, yes, it's it's going to be mostly or all into women founded teams. Yeah, there could be a guy co-founder, by the way, um, on that team. And um, and I think, you know, the role of men as allies, I think about that a lot, you know, sponsors, allies. So I think it's like, it's a mix, right? So I think sometimes it's good to have a, a you know, a women only group or a women friendly space. And then, you know, the next day the woman turns around and has to reach out beyond, right? So they can they can take that safe space, get some help, figure things out, make themselves stronger. And then they, they do need to go out and interact, you know, with, with the rest of the world. It, it still is a fact that most LP money, as I mentioned before, most of the checks are being written by men. Um, so then you go out and engage with, with them as well. Right. And, and by the way, there are, I think there are, there are men who are more supportive. So finding, you know, what I tend to find is that in our community, because we have this incredible community, right. Where we have, dinners, events, uh, gatherings in different cities, and it's really focused on these incredible women. But then when they invite someone, you know, that's probably a supporter. <laughs> so kind of being open to that, right? They know who to invite. They know who's really there for them. Mm, yeah, that's that's really cool. So um, tell me a little bit more about the children thing. I, I really want to unpack that a little bit. Um, have you seen cases where uh, having children will have impacted um, a founder, uh, maybe in a positive and negatively. But it, the, talk a little bit about the from where you stand. What are you yeah. observing about the impact? Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought about this over the years, and I feel that um, it's kind of something that it's really the founder's business. If that makes sense, like so, it's not something we as investors should really be factoring into our decisions. So um, I've seen founders bring their baby to work. Um, I'm sure there are challenges, but I'm sure guys have challenges and women have challenges, and there's lots of challenges to deal with. So um, I, I just believe that um, you know women and and also their spouses and their their families. I mean, I do believe in. Like um, Reshma Sajani is out there advocating for moms. If you if you look at her, she's well known for Girls Who Code. So I I agree that that should be advocated for. And there's probably massive policy changes that need to be changed. But then for for my angle of where I stand, um, I mean, there's a story where um, one friend of mine was asking about a woman founder and saying, hey. She's not really responsive, not very responsive right now. Do you know why that might be? And I knew she had a, a baby. 
recently. And then I thought about it really hard and I was like, what do I say to this question? And my answer was, no, I don't know any reason because that wouldn't be a reason. She's a good founder and she'll solve it however. And so I'm not gonna you know, judge that. Yeah, absolutely. It does make sense to me. How many more investors, VCs, do you know similar to yourself that are on this mission and are investing primarily well, on women who are men? Uh, it's interesting because in the ecosystem, obviously, there are other women-focused funds. You know, I think compared to the women-focused funds, like, there are definitely other funds that deploy into women founders. Um I think our DNA of working with women at other funds is unique. I think that's the unique part of our DNA. So that's, I feel like that makes us a little different compared to the other women focused funds. But also, by the way, we get along really well with other funds that are kind of focused on underrepresented um, of other kinds. Uh, we tend to be, you know, mission aligned, values aligned, help each other. So we can definitely help each other and do deals together as well. Um, but I kind of want to point out that, you know, when I went and checked, you know, some of the some of the funds that are pretty well known are still under 100 million in the in the women focused area. And so um, my question is, you know, I met a top fund um, maybe recently and they were deploying 20 billion a year, you know, and um, so so I feel like there's a gap on the uh, in terms of scale. Like how many billion dollar funds are are women first or women friendly? Uh, and I think that's that's what will change. It will change. There will be women focused funds that get big with the right model, and there'll be other funds that adjust to the new world and like equalize it more. Because you know, just looking again at the industry data, a lot of those large funds are deploying something along the lines of uh, I'd say ninety percent or more of their capital to teams that do not have a woman founder so they're going to have to adjust so i want to talk to you a little bit about um realistically how many women are actually applying you know there is something to say that investors are not investing in uh, women founders there's another thing is that i from my observation i may be wrong but i i don't see a high number of women applying so um we have a survey uh, we have 3500 startups on our platform so mm -hmm. far and we've done a survey so far over 800 people have filled out the survey and uh, we didn't ask the question of what uh, gender they were uh, maybe we should have but but from looking at the names um i don't see that many women founders I see a very small number of women founders applying, like even like filling out the survey. So, um, so I think there this goes back to, and this was one of the problems that we were trying to solve with Fempeak, which we found it was very difficult. Was that um, culturally, women don't think of themselves as founders um, mm -hmm. as as much, and the culture of entrepreneurship. Here's what I've observed this might be a general generalization but i've been working on this for several years now and this is what i've seen most women prefer to start uh, to bootstrap companies 
many of them prefer to do nonprofits. Um, mm. And even when we were when we were creating Fanpeak, we were struggling with getting men uh, invest in it. And when they did invest, they wrote small checks and they treated it as as if they were giving money to a nonprofit. Even though we were like, you know, like we are going to make this a big platform. And I was like, look, we may pivot any whatever yeah. many things may happen, but you're investing in me. And you, you know, yeah. you know that I'm going to make this a company that will be profitable and it will be it will be super successful. So do you want to invest in me? Because if yeah. you're investing in the product, then the product could change. Right. Um, but but we found that like a lot of people who were writing us checks were saying that um, like I have uh, I have daughters, uh, you know, and I want to support and they would write me a 10K check. Like I, I have so many 10K people on my uh, on my account table. I have a few 300Ks, you know, like two, uh, 200, uh, like one 300K, a few 100Ks, you know, but, but primarily people were writing me 10K checks. And at the time we needed the money, we were just starting out. And they would just say, okay, um, I have daughters, I want to support. And as if like they are giving money to a charity, you know, so, so, so it was quite painful. Like I was getting these checks with like a little bit of a grudge. And while I was also thankful, I was like, well, I really appreciate the support, but you know, like, I wish you would just look at it as look at us as actual, an actual tech startup. That's what we were building. We were building a a networking platform that the truth is that our platform is a networking platform it can be used mm. for anything it can be used for women it can be used for web3 mm. it can be used now we are building this community of startups and and, and vcs and actually other people it's, it's, a, it's a SaaS business other people can create their own communities on our platform the problem is that most of the cu- current community networks are they're kind of detached so you would go in and you would it's like you're white labeling and then all these communities are mm-hmm. living uh, in islands, whereas, mm. um, for example, something like um, Discord comes closer to the idea that we had, where we wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. But 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 Discord doesn't have like a news feed where you can see all the different communities that you're part of. And mm. and when you do when you get into things like Web three community, the concept of community becomes so big with DAOs and all sorts of NFT communities, et cetera. It all made sense that that this was an opportunity for us to to build. The way we saw it was that like the future of LinkedIn, this is, this is going to be mm-hmm. based on communities. I think we were, in retrospect, we were super early for that concept. So 100%, I really, I still believe in my core that community is a future of social networking so we are going to go from social networking to community networking so Mm -hmm. so we were super early for that and we had to um you know pivot from that so then the next step was that you know we at first we thought maybe we do it with women because women understand community and but it it worked out we weren't quite right about that because there weren't enough women that were building things in you know in the tech space we wanted to do for women in business and technology so we pivoted to Web3. So the, the, uh, the point here is that the concept was very ambitious. It was, it was, you know, probably too ambitious for the time that it was in, right? But we were still being viewed as this like little 
network of oh it's a woman oh it's a woman entrepreneur uh, you know uh, who is also an immigrant you know here's a 10k check <laughs> you know <Yeah>. <laughs> so i'd love to hear if you have uh, come across similar kind of stories and and how um you know women's ambition sometimes is downplayed <laughs> in in some ways i'm sure it happens i'm sure it happens so i i feel like because of the imbalance on the check writer side um i think it's very difficult to understand you know, maybe personalities or um, even businesses, entire businesses that are needed. And so I, I think that is the big challenge for the, like the current industry um, as it stands right now. And, um, you know, I think like even now, like we're building up, building out our team. Um, we have a, an associate, uh, Alex, who's been on board for two months and just like having her around, it's, it's actually helpful for me, right? Like she can, she can help me look at businesses and say, you know, this is this is what it looks like from a woman's perspective. So I kind of encourage funds to um, make sure they have that perspective, and I I think that's one step. Um, but I, I understand, yeah, because the percentages are so low, it's harder for women. And so I've been talking to, you know, and that's one of the reasons why we also write, you know, sometimes the first check. Um, and I, I, you know, I hear you about the 10k check, you know, I understand. I think that whoever is writing those checks, it's a start, you know, they're going to need to evolve <laughs> to seeing the full potential. So it's a good start, but they need to evolve to seeing the full potential. And, um, uh, yeah, so that's, I think, I think it's a, it's a definitely a true issue. Um, and then you know, there's also different kinds of investors. So uh, it's interesting because like, if you look at like, we do a lot of uh, B2B SaaS, you know, business to business software. And if you look at those investors, those investors tend to like, if, if you look at when they're at series A, for example, which is a little bit further along, they're, they're looking for, you know, that the numbers have changed a little bit over the last like couple of years, but basically they're looking for that X million revenue, let's say a couple million revenue, 400% growth, you know, the product is loved and whatever. Um, so a lot of the B2B SaaS, like by series A is like that. It's sort of scientific a little bit there, but then there's another kind of investing that's like pre-revenue, you know, might take years to get to the product or the revenue. And then I think it's more theoretical. And I think that's more, that could be more of a worry for me for, for women because there's no data yet. And so it's like literally what those investors are used to hearing or who they're used to hanging out with or whatever is gonna carry the day a lot of times. And I think that's that's where some of the big problems come in right now because probably some of the big dollars go that way too. I mean, there've been, in the last few years, there've been companies that went public like that, you know? Like something as large as like Virgin Galactic, you know, going public with like pretty much zero revenue. How do they pull it off? What what's what are they doing differently? <laughs> I don't know, but I think I think that you know, regardless of men or women, when I when we go meet a bunch of companies and like the companies that are able to educate on the landscape, you know, like you you can obviously see they know the landscape. They're not just talking about their business, but they're talking about all the other competitors and how they're different. And it's so clear. Um, and the ones that are talking about like where they're going. 
you know, even if it's has to be adjusted, even if it's not exact, those founders, I think it's it's really, I think those are the ones that can raise money based on that, you know, storytelling. Yeah, the storytelling mm -hmm. and the future idea rather than like this is what we have. So maybe that's a skill that we need to. It's a different kind of storytelling. Um, yeah, it's it's basically painting a dream, and yeah, yeah. One other thing I wanted to uh to talk to you about was this is something that I've observed, and I wonder whether you agree with that. But it sort of uh, upsets me a little bit sometimes that even women who are super rich and powerful and have money, they seem to generally give more money to charity. Uh, and nonprofits and then invest in startups. Um, this is, but you know, think about, for example, somebody like McKinsey Bezos, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, the amount of money that she poured into nonprofits, um, you know, after getting her uh, money from uh, the, the divorce and everything. And I see that with, with also with um, various foundations by actress, actresses and all that stuff. Um, I think we need to create a new culture of investing. So, you know, uh, I always think, like, I don't have kids. I'm going to build this company to as successful as it can possibly be. And as I do that, you know, it's not, I'm not going to leave that money for anybody. Uh, when I die, I'm going to, you know, eventually, obviously, I can't take it with me, right? So what, what I've, I've decided that I'm not going to do it do a charity foundation or a non-profit foundation i want i want instead that to be a fund that invests and then gets mm. the profits back and then invests in more women right so so basically invest in women um and then uh, from there uh, get the profits invest in more women and, and build a, a culture around that right and put some of that money into the education of, of women and um, and kind of helping them build that dream, build that, um, you know, courage, et cetera. Um, so what's your observation been? Does it ever bother you that like uh, so, some of the money that's going into nonprofit from uh, very rich and powerful women that could be going into investing in, in women founders? Yeah, um, that's so interesting because there's a lot, there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that, but um uh in the early years you know because we're kind of us as a fund um we were coming from a place where it was more like more like individuals investing in our first fund and then coming into our second fund it's shifting a bit to more we're talking to more family offices institutions and i think it, it's a, you know it's a it's a slow shift but it's happening um and so what one of the things we noticed is uh we really wanted to focus on women investors in the first fund individuals and it was very difficult and one time i had a call with someone we kind of chatted about it and they said they said to me yeah we're finding it really difficult to raise money from women investors because and then this person said to me because they usually then defer to their husband or they defer to their wealth manager and so it just creates like this you know lack of ability to like conclude the transaction and so that struck me as interesting. And what I've noticed in, in as we're coming into family office world, um, I think like, for example, we have a pretty significant commitment from a, a woman family office for fund two. 
and I started to get excited because I'm like, oh wow, okay, I think maybe in this in this world, um, there could be some good alignment and, and good possibilities. Uh, and I often think about like how do we solve this on a bigger scale, you know? And it, I think it could it could come down to one day, you know, these options being more on the platforms of companies like J.P. Morgan and Fidelity, right? So what having the options there where it's like part of just part of your everyday. Um, but you know, to the mindset of these women, it's interesting. It's like one of our apprentices <laughs> is like, you know, she kind of keeps in touch, tells me what she's doing, and she's like, she's doing like sports gambling, she's doing arbitraging, you know, Bitcoin and this and that. And I'm like laughing, but I'm like, no, she's actually practicing all these incredible things. She's learning all these skills, and it's like all experimentation, you know. And I don't know if she's going to go into venture capital or not, uh, but she comes to our events, she meets our community and, and expresses an interest. And, and so we're comparing that, comparing her to like, you know, there was another woman a couple of years ago who was like, I want you to teach me how to invest. Like she was, you know, one of my friends in our, in our community. And I was like, okay, what did you invest in? And she's like, nothing, <laughs> you know, yet. And I was like, okay, well, you can practice, you can try stuff. You can, you have to like, it's like telling me to teach you how to swim. You got to jump in the water, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I do agree with you that, like, I don't know what the stats are on that or how many women are doing it or not doing it. It's just like, I'm just seeing women who who are interested in it and want to learn more. And I'm like, let's go, you know, join our community and and, and meet others around you who are like that. And, and we'll just like amplify it. But I don't, I don't know what else is out there, what's not happening out there, you know? Yeah, no, that's amazing. I love, I love it. Um, you mentioned your community a few times. How can people join that community? How can we create more of these types of communities? Um, you know, without being pigeonholed. The, he, here's what yeah. I found. Like, like one of the reasons why I stopped talking about uh, women um, networks so much was because I was getting so pigeonholed. So before that, mm. I, was, I was getting invited to speak uh, uh you know at conferences on ai and blockchain and you know all sorts of things but all of a sudden like all of that was starting to stop and and i was only getting asked to talk about women and yeah. um and and that it was becoming like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy in a negative way uh, where, yeah. where i was like i was actually starting to lose touch or lose contact with everything else and and it was like all it was all about um this small world of small network that that i could be part of so um so how can people be part of these types of communities while still um uh you know expanding their network as well so maybe talk a little bit about your community how can how can people be part of your community so um you know i think for us the there's different entry points right so you can you can just like tell me or tell my team um, just come to us, right? Step one. Uh, and then there are different things we're doing, whether it's like a dinner in LA or a large event um, in Nashville or New York. And, you know, there's only, I think we're a pretty small team right now. So there's only so much of that we can do. But I think what, what it really comes down to is when somebody comes into our community, um, connecting them with like people that are a fit so that they start to build their bench and then they're kind of um, you know, in for life. So 
like for example, like if you're if you're a founder, you know, we try if we're investing in you, you're part of that founder community. But if even if we're not, um, you know, you're you're welcome to our events and to be our friends and uh, we'll try to like let's say for example you're a, a woman in hardware you know oh gosh we have four of those in our portfolio um, you should talk to them <laughs> and then so there was a, a woman in hardware in like the Bay Area another one who's in Nashville now and then we introduced we just had a little women in hardware Zoom uh, and two of them became friends and they talk weekly and it and then so that to me is the beautiful thing of this if you get it right. Um, and that can be like founder to founder. It could be, you know, introducing a founder to venture capitalists when they're raising around. It could be um, also with the, the young women apprentices. Like, what are they interested in? Um, they probably want to meet some of the founders, you know, if they're interested in being a founder, maybe one day. So bringing them to a dinner or having them meet each other. And then and then maybe a couple of New York apprentices know each other and then they they can create their own little um, community. So. I think for, for me, it's just like if someone comes along and getting them enough good people to start with, and then it's kind of, it's just, they're basically out there and they, they'll fly to LA, meet another person and send us a photo of them together and be like, hey, we're, we're hanging out, you know? And that's, I think that's one of my happiest moments because it's like, they're doing it, we're not doing it. And and by starting it off well, it just happens. Um, we just, I just had someone come in last week She's in university she, in Chicago. We did a little call. Uh, I think one call is important just to like share each other's DNA. Um, and then I said, hey, this is one of our uh, other young apprentices. Uh, she's at BlackRock and she's also from Chicago. So she's sitting in Chicago. You should talk to her, you know, if you want to talk about Wall Street. <laughs> and, and you're both in Chicago. You can have a coffee. And then I, I feel like that's it. They're going to be bonded and then we will just continue to grow like that. Yeah, no, I love it. Amazing. Okay, well, thank you so much, uh, Rajiv. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I would love to have you back. We will also feature you on our Investor of the Day series, which is a new series that we are going to launch. Um, we are excited about that. Uh, it's like three minute bites. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I just really uh, hope that in the next few years, we see many more um, gentlemen like you, but also um, ladies that, that get into investing and, and, and start their journey. So um, I'd love to collaborate. Maybe we could try and help because you mentioned all these locations. None of them are London. So maybe I can help <laughs> with, you know, maybe I can help with uh, you creating these communities also here in london as well and we can be your london arm and, and help you with yeah that. yeah no um thank you for hosting me um thank you for all you're doing and we want to be there for you as well so we will stay in touch we will support your journey however we can um and then regards london a third of our portfolio is in london so we're happy to do an event in london Fantastic. it's just timing so we'll we'll figure something out I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rajiv Kapoor of Chai Ventures. Be sure to follow him on LinkedIn. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcast so that you don't miss future episodes. Finally, it will mean the world to me if you leave a review and share the podcast with others who might enjoy it.